now I'd like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Helen. Hi, my name is Helen. I'm a compulsive overeater. How to qualify? I've been in this program since let's see, 19, September of 1976. It's been a while, more than half my life. Um, <clears throat> what got me into Overeaters Anonymous is that I had just finished putting back on 100 pounds I had just watched, lost in Weight Watchers. That's how I got here. And I, my top weight was only 240 pounds, but I reached that top weight when I was only 14 years old. So to be standing here today in a reasonably normal body, you know, to me is an absolute miracle because 14-year-olds that weigh that much usually end up to be three, 400-pound adults. And so I'm, you know, not only grateful physically that I came to this program as early as I did, but just it's been such a way of life and such a blueprint for living for me that um, I couldn't imagine my life now being any other way you know I was raised in a very tumultuous household we had a lot of uh, my mom is a compulsive overeater she was always either on her way up or her way down um, you know she smoked like a fiend um, was always dieting and cranky or you know when she was eating she was full of self-loathing and so, you know, for me, a lot of this disease isn't so much about the eating, but the obsession. And, um, you know, I haven't been abstaining this whole time in Overeaters Anonymous either. It took me nine years to get abstinent. I'll, t I'll tell you a little bit about that. But for the nine years um, when I came in, um, there was either one or two things going on. Um, either I had control of the food and I was controlling it or the food was controlling me. There was never anything in the middle of that. And so even, you know, for most of those nine years, I had a reasonably, you know, normal body. I took off 80 pounds right away. But uh, I can tell you those nine years were miserable because what I had was a lot of dieting and binge cycles back and forth, back and forth. And, uh, so for me, it's um, more than about the weight. It's just all the energy that I put into counting calories and dieting. And, go, and today they have a word for this. They call it exercise bulimia. Um, but back then, you know, I, I would, you know, just exercise like crazy. And I would binge like crazy, and I couldn't figure out a way to throw up or anything. So I would just go to the gym, and I would swim these laps on this full stomach. And, you know, just did a lot of... Uh, crazy things behind food and was really insane even in this program so I want to say take heart you know if you've been in for a while and uh, think you're one of those that's constitutionally incapable then just keep coming back you know because that's uh, you know that's what I did I really didn't get it and I you know I was at a meeting this morning and a newcomer shared and she said you know I don't think this God thing is going to work I'm a Christian I believe in God <clears throat> and I thought you know what praying in and of itself just does not work you know, praying to have this disease removed. I can tell you, it just does not work. Um, and today, my prayer is, make me a completely different person inside and out. That's what the prayer is today. And that works. Something about being a different person and having that mental rearrangement that the big book talks about makes me less hungry. I can't explain to you how that works, but I know that it does. And I know that's the key. Becoming a different person on the inside. And it takes a lot of time, 
And, uh, you know, sometimes I say being me is like a full-time job, you know. Um, all the writing and the calling and the meetings, this is time-consuming. You know, this program is not for wimps. It's for people that really, um, not for people who need it, but for people who really want it. You really have to want this to hang out here, you know, uh, especially for as long as I did. But anyway, uh, you know, back to the way I was raised, I, you know, lived in a very tumultuous household. Um, my uh, dad died when I was young. My mom remarried. <clears throat> and she married somebody she wanted to be my dad, but could never be my dad, you know. And... Um, she married somebody who was the bar who was a barber, but she wanted the income of an attorney, you know. Um, and I got a lot of that, you know. It's not good enough trying to. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, trying to revamp people and recreate people, and that's what my, you know, I watched my mom did, my mom do with my stepdad, and I said I would never do that, and I turned out to, you know, become that person, you know. Um, you know, and he was a compulsive overeater as well. Our whole family based, uh, you know, I mean, we used to go to the day-old bakery and, um, you know, just buy tons of food. And I would even ask my mom, Mom, I've got some sort of problem with food. I don't know. At an early age, I knew there was something the matter with me. Um, and I'd ask her just not to buy this food. And just tons of it, like Coast cheap stuff, too, like Hostess ding-dongs and Twinkies and um you know, and I would just come home from school and I would just indulge myself. Um, my whole life was in a fantasy. I wished I was in a different family, that I was a different person. Um, and what I did was I just hid in my room, I played records, and I ate. That was my whole entire life, records and food, you know, and just fantasy, complete fantasy, wishing um, that I was somebody else. Um, so anyway, I lost this weight in Weight Watchers, lost this 100 pounds and got a whole new wardrobe. And I tell you, I looked fantastic and I was young and, you know, uh, what can I say? Um, and, you know, I, I guess Weight Watchers is a pretty healthy diet, you know, but I, I lost that weight really quickly, I, I want to say in eight months. And I'm going to tell you about my first binge off that because um, to me it illustrates the point, and I, I always tell this story. Um, when I came off that diet, I went to the county fair, the one in, in Los Angeles, and um, I saw people eating those Balboa bars, those squares that are dipped in chocolate, rolled in nuts, and I stood in the line to get one of those. And I tell you, I wanted that so bad that I was drooling, and this is no joke, and I was shaking. And the thought occurred to me that this was not normal. <laughs> And nobody else in the line, and I'm looking at all these people. You know, figure I'm 18 or 19 years old. Nobody else in this line is drooling or shaking. And I said to myself, this is bigger than me. I've got one. It didn't stop me from getting the damn thing. And I put on 10 pounds that weekend, that weekend of that 100 pounds. And, it, you know, we've all been there. It's like one day you weigh 140, and the next day you weigh 240, and you're like scratching your head. Like that guy in the big book that's sitting at the bar that mixed the whiskey and the drink, and he's like, how did I end up here again? That was me. I was totally baffled. And 
people would say, what are you doing to yourself? Are you trying to kill yourself? And how could you let this happen? And you were so pretty. I don't know. (laughs) I haven't a clue as to why I'm doing this. I haven't a clue. You can say a bunch of mean things to me. It's not going to, you can degrade me. Nothing you can say is going to make any difference. Save your breath. I'm going to eat. You know, and I did. And, um, you know, the first job I um, had out of school was, in a critical care unit at a small community hospital on the night shift. And back in those days, people used to give nurses seized candy. You know, you don't get that anymore. But um, And I can remember just binging to where I was unsafe to be at work. You know, I just would get into this mental fog. And I am a binge until I drop kind of person. But just... You know, the kind that wakes up disoriented with a dry mouth, where am I, what did I do, you know, crumbs in the bed. That's the kind of person that I am. And um, somebody at work told me about Overeaters Anonymous. And I went to that meeting, it was a Tuesday night meeting with Kavina, and I remember it um, like it happened yesterday. Everything that night is just crystallized in my mind like some sort of, uh, you know, magical story. Uh, it still remains one of the happiest days of my life. I've got to tell you, I hear that people come into Overeaters Anonymous and they say, well, I thought everybody was weird. I didn't think that at all. I felt like I was home, like it was, this was the end of a, like a long journey, and I, I wanted to yell free at last, you know. And, and what I heard there was that I had a disease that I didn't cause and that I couldn't cure. And with that, just... The biggest emotional relief, I knew that night that I would remain here for the rest of my life. I knew that. And um, I didn't know how I was going to do that, but I knew that I would probably, you know, not try Weight Watchers or any. And a lot of things have come in time, you know, since then. Fen Fen and all that stuff. I would save the agony and expense of doing, you know, all that stuff. And, um, you know... I, I want to talk about the first nine years. Um, first nine years of this program, I um, I have some theories as to what why this happened. It, it, I have theories about almost everything, like, most of which nobody wants to hear, but I've got a theory for everything. But, um, you know, I want to say I wasn't a visitor to this program. I was really enrolled. Like, I had a sponsor. I went to three meetings a week. I did service. I wrote. And I still couldn't abstain. That's what I want to tell you. I wasn't, like, goofing around. I was really, like, reading a big book every day and, you know, doing all the things I was supposed to do. And I couldn't abstain. And this is my theory today as to why that happened. Um, What I wanted was your abstinence. Uh, This is... You know, the abstinence, everybody talks about three meals a day with nothing in between, no refined flour, no sugar. I'm here to say I can't do that. I failed. And I quit trying. That's what I'm here to tell you. After all these years, I'm not going to try to do that anymore. That's a recipe for disaster for me. And uh, I think that's why. I I don't want to blame it on that, but I think that's why I binged until I dropped. It would often start out with something innocuous, you know, like a graham cracker at work or um, an apple or, you know. And then the thought would occur to me, what difference does it make? I've screwed up anyway. I might as well just binge until I drop. And I think it's like, the I don't want to call it starvation because I never starve, but I, I will call it dieting. The dieting is like a rubber band. The tighter you pull it back, 
when you let go, watch out. That's my theory. <laughs> That's my theory for me. And the extent to which I dieted, that was the same extent to which I went out and binged. That's my theory about my nine years of hell in this program, was that I try to do it your way and match your food plan. And you know what I can tell you today after 20-some years being in the program? People stand up here and lie about what they eat. Don't assume everybody, including me, is always telling you the truth. People lie in these rooms. I've been to dinner with them. I can tell you they lie, you know? So don't always believe everything you hear when you're starting to compare yourself to other people because that's what I did and I always fell short, you know. And there are a lot of people in this program, you know, this is a big program uh, that I've known that have kept the weight off. They've looked the same, they've eaten the same, and I can tell you they are telling the truth. But those people are in the minority. Most of them have my story. They struggle a lot of times and, you know, have years of relative relief from the obsession to compulsively overeat and then sometimes it seems like a struggle again why that is you know I'm not really sure about that I you know I you think the longer I was in the more I would know and it just seems like the less that I know you know I can only um, tell you my story um, so anyway after nine years in this program my worst nightmare came true. Remember I said I had taken off 80 pounds and kept it up. My, my fear was that the periods of binging would become longer than the periods of dieting and that I would start to put the weight back on. And that's exactly what happened again. I uh, started to gain weight. And I couldn't stop when I wanted to. I couldn't exercise it away. I couldn't pull it back together again like I had always been able to. There was a a luncheon meeting at Clifton, Clifton's Cafeteria in West Covina that was every Wednesday at noon. And there was times that I had been so bad the Tuesday night before I could barely make it to that Wednesday morning, I mean, Wednesday afternoon meeting, you know. Um, and so my first year of abstinence was just no sugar and, you know, no binging. I wanted to see if I could do that because I had never even taken a candle or a chip or anything. All that, the first nine years, I never took anything like that. And so uh, <clears throat> I started to abstain in that way, way. The weight fell off again. And I started to really um, work on the program and all the issues, you know, that I have. Um, and, you know, a, a lot of my issues are accepting life on life's terms. There was this guy, I don't know, some of you may have known him, he's dead now, his name was Webster, and he was like a real philosopher, he was an old man, you know, when I started. And he used to tell this little riddle, and he used to go like this, what's the difference between a neurotic and a psychotic? And the answer was, um, the psychotic thinks two plus two is five. The neurotic knows two plus two is four, but he can't stand it. And that's me. I know reality, but I don't like to look at it. I can't stand that two plus two is four. I can't stand that certain things happen a certain way in the industry I work. You know, I can't stand certain things. But they're reality, and I've got to, I've got to stand them, you know. I've got to deal with people as they present themselves, and these are the things that get me hungry. The big book says for alcoholics that resentment is our number one offender. For me, that was true. It's the thing that's going to 
screw me up faster than anything. And when I am resentful today, I instantly write about it. I write how it affects my security, how it affects my self-esteem, what my ambition is, where have I been selfish, self-seeking, where have I been fearful or dishonest in the last column, where, where am I at fault? And um, I do that with every single resentment because it's important for me so I don't have to be a victim to find my part in everything. And I've got a part in everything, you know. Um, even the big book says something like, you know, we oftentimes found that we had placed ourselves in a position to be hurt, you know. So uh, even when it's not my fault, I have a part in it because I've placed myself in almost every position, you know. Um, I've always been sponsored. Um, you know, I, the person you see today is totally different than um, the person that walked in, in these rooms. I was a perpetual malcontent. I was always stirring the pot in the workplace. I, I teach now, but I, I'm going to tell you my first spiritual experience in this program. This happened through a sponsor. And this was, this uh, personified who I was. They had this thing at work where the nurses had to clean the rooms instead of the housekeepers. This was like 20 years ago, you know. And we were going to have to empty the trash cans, not clean the floors or the toilet, just empty the trash cans, you know. And I went on this huge tirade like I always did, you know. I didn't go to school to empty trash cans. I'm not going to do it. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm telling my sponsor, and she says to me, Helen, wouldn't it just be easier to empty the trash cans? And, 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 and that's so true. That's so true. But I never wanted easier. I wanted right, and I wanted fair. And, you know, she used to tell me the fair is in Pomona. And I... And I'd always say, it's not fair, this isn't fair. And she'd say, it's not fair is the cry of the loser. People were very mean to me early in this program. Um, but, you know, I always had sponsors who, um, you know, told me the truth. And I, I learned a lot. Um, I learned a lot through trial and error. And, um, you know, I've been married, and I've been in this program a long time. I've been married and divorced in this program uh, twice. God, I never thought I would say that. You know, I uh, was married in 1991 to, um, you know, really the first normal guy I ever dated. I mean, you know, self-supporting through his own contributions, non-alcoholic, you know, employed. And, um, and I still cannot tell you what happened except for that, you know, he, I, I was, 40, he was 50, and we started a family, you know, tried to have a, a kids, and um, I have a daughter that's eight years old, and I tell you, I learned the one thing that I absolutely am terrible at, is parenting, and, um, you know, because I've always prided myself at excelling at, like, everything I, I do, and being a know-it-all, I know the answers, I know what's good for me, and I know what's good for you, and I tell you, this really stretched me as a person. I think everybody should do it. Everybody should be a parent. I really, I really think that. It just, uh, it, it taught me things I don't think I could have learned any other way. And unlike every other endeavor in my life, I couldn't back up and say, well, that wasn't for me. <laughs> you know, um, I've always said I believe that there's no decision that's irrevocable, ex except for that decision to have a child, you know. 
I have never been in a job that I, I would sooner stand in a soup line, and I mean that, to be at a job that I was not happy. I would sooner be on welfare, poor, whatever. I could not work at a job that I didn't like. Just I couldn't do it. Um, so I've been willing to back up, switch gears, and make changes, you know, um, where before I couldn't do that. I, I was unable to switch gears easily in this program. Is there a timer? Somebody's going to tell me when I'm close to Okay. Um, I, a lot of times, I even got embarrassed to speak, you know, not speak, but pitch sometimes at meetings because I would rehash these same problems and the same dilemmas over and over again. Um, my adolescence took place in my 20s and 30s. You know, when I, when you weigh 240 pounds, you're not doing a lot of dating. I didn't date even my first date until I was out of college. Okay, so I really got... Um, a delayed start, and I didn't know how to back up, switch gears, and try new things. I was mortified. If I had a boyfriend, I wanted to keep him forever. You know, if I had a place to live, I wanted to stay there forever. And one of the things that I learned is that today for me, all those discomforts and pains, and um, those, those are all to me a, a wonderful thing because what they are is a tap on the shoulder from God that says, take stock, move back, and move out in another direction. And rather than those little wind-up cars that hit the wall, they back up, they hit the wall again. Um, that's what I was. I created the same mistakes and the same turmoil over and over again uh, and was very, very fear-based. Um, but, you know, having my daughter was one of those things that I couldn't back up and move in a different direction. I had to pray. Uh, the amount of patience that it takes. And I tell you, my uh, ex-husband was a saint. Whatever that stuff is, I think that that maternal, you know, being maternal, I think that's stamped into the gene pool. I think you're kind of born with that, you know. I really do. I think some people are just natural and some people have to really try at it. And I was one of those people that it did not come natural to. And I was embarrassed to say, I mean, I'm not now because I'm a woman. And it should be something that, you know, gosh, to have a child at 40, you know, is such a miracle. Uh, everybody said, well, you should be grateful. And why aren't you happy? This is, you know, and it wasn't that I wasn't happy. It's just that I felt like um, somebody handed this to me, this child, and said, take care of this child. That's why I felt just totally out of it, disconnected. And, um, you know, I have no explanation for that, but I can tell you it ruined my marriage because my husband did not understand it. And he was the one person I wanted to go to, <clears throat> and I didn't want to raise a child like I was raised, you know. I didn't want to yell, scream, hit, all those things that my mother did. So what I did instead was I went to my husband and went, blah, 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 blah. and he was like, you know, when you tell a man this, he's like, oh, my God, what kind of a monster am I married to, you know? Now I know that was a mistake. If I had to do that again, I would have gone to females and, and you know, ran those complaints by. Because um, it really changed the dynamics of our marriage, and we had been married for a very, very long time. <clears throat> and he had to pick up a lot of that slack, and, um, you know, he really resented it, and it really distanced us. And I'm one that talks about feelings. But he was not one that talked about feelings, you know. So um, it, it was really hard for me to admit any of this stuff was going on. And I had been, at the time, abstaining for 13 years. I had taken a 13-year candle, and I went out again and ate after 13 years. <clears throat> 
and it was because I was embarrassed about all this stuff, you know. <clears throat> I had this wonderful man, a wonderful house, a, you know, beautiful, healthy child, and everything, you know, was just absolutely falling apart, and I couldn't tell a soul. I was, you know, embarrassed and ashamed of, of who I was. And now I know um, today, and I'll tell you, one, one of the things this has done for me, It's helped me to be less cocky. All of my virtues that I think are virtues are really not virtues at all. They're all blessings. You know, they're all blessings. And I see that now. And um, one of the things that I used to tell uh, my husband when I marvel at what a good job he did and how patient he was with this child, you know, is that... Uh, you know, you may think this is a virtue and you're looking down your nose at me, but it's not. What you have been granted is a blessing, you know, that you're able to do this. And I couldn't do it. Um, you know, I could do it and I did do it, but it was from a lot of help from, you know, family and friends and daycare workers. And um, because I knew my limitations, I couldn't do it by myself. And it was something that I continually had to ask for help and um, I left the house I lived in an apartment and um, you know the minute I did that I started abstaining again and I, I just want to say something about that um, I had started to put back on weight again and usually in the past when I would put on weight I'd say what can I do or what can I change about my food and this time I didn't say that it was like how can I work my program better? How can I be more honest? How can I be of more of service to others? Uh, those are the things I put my focus on. So I know that there was a lot of growth there. Um, and surely, you know, the weight came off, uh, you know, again. Um, and so this March, I will have been, be abstaining for um, five years. It'll be five years. But, um, you know, I went out probably for less than a year, probably for about nine months, and I didn't have those horrible binges. You know, I didn't start, I haven't had a binge in like, you know, a long, long time. But, you know, um, I see people take candles, you know, for 10, 20 years, and they put back on weight, and they've had, you know, I don't want to do that. I want to be really honest about that, about my food and my weight. And if I'm gaining 20 to 30 pounds, I'm eating too much. You know, I know a lot of people don't see it that way, but um, that's the way that I see it. Um, I came here to be a reasonably normal body. And if I'm lying and in denial, I'm not going to stay that way, at least for long. And I have to be really honest and um, with any sort of, you know, big weight gain or anything, I would, you know, I would do it again. I would start my abstinence over again. Um, so I've, <clears throat> I've had two bouts <clears throat> of abstinence, long-term abstinence. And um, today, you know, I work my program by asking God to, you know, to make me a different person, to take away my defects of character that stand in the way of my service to other people. I ask them to take away my anger, um, you know, the, just the growth that I've had as a mother, you know, the fact that I can tell you my mom, you know, I know she did the best that she could, but I can tell you if she had to sit through one meeting of Girl Scouts, she would have put a bullet in her head. I'm telling you, she couldn't have done it. She just couldn't have done it. That was one of the things that I, you know, um, confronted her about, like, you know, we all go to therapy. 
And um, I said, you know, Mom, why did you, you know, do this or do that? And she was physically violent. I mean, there were a lot of big things, you know, that I asked her about. But one of the things was, why wouldn't you let me be in anything? Why wouldn't you let me be in Girl Scouts or anything like that? And she said, oh, I thought somebody would ask me to bake some cookies. And that is who I am. I don't want to be put out. I don't want to be inconvenienced. So to listen to this pointless dribble, that's what I think it is, these meetings, all these women. A lot of times I'm not very fond of women, you know, just, I don't know why. Just a lot lot of women in small talk and stuff annoys me. Um, And I tell you, I sit there with a smile on my face and I just do it because it's part of the deal. It's what I signed up for. This program, you know, I get a lot of calls, I make a lot of calls, and people often say, you know, well, am I bothering you if I call you? It doesn't matter if you are bothering me. It's what I signed up for. It's part of the deal. It's part of your membership benefits to be able to call me. That's what this is about. So if you're bothering me, don't think twice. It's what I signed up for. And that's what I do. I don't ask a lot of questions. If you want me to empty a trash can at work, I don't care. It's what I signed up for. It's what I'm here to do. You're paying me good money. You know, I'm going to do it. It doesn't matter anymore. And I ask God every day to show me how to, how to be present uh, for other people. Because by nature, I'm just like my mom. For the last 20 years, uh, she has given us money and said, go out and buy your own present. She doesn't want to be inconvenienced, you know. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to age like that. Um, and I may, you know, complain to you about being inconvenienced. And just humor me. Listen to me if, you know, if I ever call you up or anything like that. Because I don't, I don't want to say I've stopped complaining. Because that's still very much there. But now I do it to people that can handle it and are willing participants and can listen, uh, you know, listen to it. And um, I uh, complain a lot to God. And, you know, I've, um, I've, the divorce is official now. And, you know, part of the miracles of what, you know, how expensive property is. And, you know, we sold our house and I thought, I am never going to be able to afford another house, maybe not even another condo, nothing. And, um, Last February, on my salary alone, I was able to qualify for a home, like a real house with a backyard in a fairly decent neighborhood. And what a blessing. I mean, every day I'm in that house, I am so grateful that I am there. I mean, just what a miracle that is. And that, you know, my daughter spends more time with me um, when we first separated. And I took her to that little apartment. She said, Mom, do I really have to be here? I mean, you know, I move her out of this big house into this apartment, right? She said, why can't I just be with my dad? I don't really even think I need a mom, she told me. And so for our relationship to come from that point, you know, to where it is now, is just absolutely amazing to me that she spends most of her time with me and actually does want to be there, you know, that I'm you know, a mom to her and somebody that participates in things with her and listens to her and that I've never hit her. Isn't that, like, amazing? I mean, I tell you, um, one of the things that I realized, you know, you hear all this about child abuse and, you know, I was a victim of that, so was my uh, half-brother. And one of the things that I realized about my mom is that she wasn't privileged to have all that backup that I have, you know. She was really by herself, totally by herself, in her own little miserable world. And, um, you know, she really did the best that she could. And I was lucky enough 
to be able to be able to ask for help and to have those resources there for me. But I can tell you, uh, there were days, and I tell you, this is the truth. That child didn't sleep through the night for a year and a half. I say, God, why me? Of all the people you could give a colicky baby to, the person who can barely stand to hear a dog bark and she's wigging out, you know, any little noise bothers me. Why me? You know, and I still don't have an answer. She did not sleep through the night. I'm not kidding you. For a year and a half. We don't have any pictures of her in the first year and a half because she never stopped crying long enough to even take a picture. I was walking around. I wore this child for a year and a half. It was a fucking nightmare. I don't know, really. I don't know how I did that. And there was sometimes I was just in prayer um, all day long. And you tell people this, they go, you should be grateful. She's so cute. I'll tell you, thank God that is over, you know. And I've got this, you know, <laughs> I've got this good part and, you know, fun part. And we just came back from, Palm, you know, we went to Palm Springs for, you know, Christmas. And, oh, she's just so cute. She's just such a blessing. She's just so funny and so smart and you know it's just uh it's just wonderful and um you know i feel like a runner breaking through the tie <laughs> that's what i feel like that uh, <clears throat> that i was able to do that and uh leave her unscathed you know um and my relationship with uh you know my ex-husband is really good neither one of us took child support neither one of us took alimony we left um, a 10-year marriage with absolutely no credit card debt, you know. I mean, that's like a miracle. How many people can say that, you know. And um, we did not use an, an attorney. So if that shows you, you know, that could not have taken place um, without these rooms. And there was, even on his part, no anger and no bit bitterness. Just uh, when we sold that house, you know, and so much is in a house for me, um, you know, it's like, for me, my home has always been an extension of myself and, you know, an extension of our marriage and almost like a child in that it's something you create together, you know. And I tell you, the three of us just stood in that empty home on the day that escrow closed and we just, three of us just sat there and cried, you know, that we couldn't make it work. It was a very, very sad uh, time and... Um, you know, I don't have to bury all those emotions in anger, and I think that's what I did. I didn't know how to be sad at you, so all I did knew how to do was be mad. And now that I can't be mad because of my eating disorder, it's not good for me to be mad. I break down and cry a lot, you know. I really feel things, and uh, if I'm mad long enough, I'll tell you, nothing is worth it. You know, nothing is go worth going back there, out there and eating. No man is worth it. If anything tweaks my food, you know, um, it's got to go. No job is worth it. No friendship is worth it. Um, there was a time where I didn't speak to my own mother for a year and a half. I couldn't afford the luxury of speaking to her, you know. Now we're on speaking terms and everything, but I have had to put this eating disorder first in my life because if I'm in the food or in the obsession, the dieting is just as bad for me, you know. Um, I can't, that energy is so um, expansive that there's not enough left for the rest of my life. And uh, the dieting was the same way. I remember sponsors used to say to me, you know, sometimes I would not eat enough for lunch. And if you don't eat enough for lunch, you're going to be hungry before dinner, right? 
um, and they'd say to me, you know, you're not going to starve between lunch and dinner. And that's true. But I can tell you the amount of emotional energy that it took to get from lunch to dinner, it's just easier to eat an apple. You know? Why sit there, be hungry? You can't even concentrate. You can't think. You know, you're there phased out because you're so damn hungry. You know, I'm not willing to do that anymore. I did that for years. I can't waste all that energy tied up in the food and the calories, and then I can't do it. I'm done. I'm done. I'm here in Overeaters Anonymous to take a load off, you know, um, to have. And the big book says um, that if you follow a few simple steps or a few simple rules, um, this problem will be solved for you. And it's as if the problem is miraculously taken care of. I know that sounds sort of Pollyanna-ish, but um, I have found that to be true. When I'm living in the steps and not thinking of myself and staying out of resentment, um, the food problem seems to take care of itself. And I, you know, this year I put on weight, you know. But I don't worry about it. I can't sit there and worry about it. Because if I'm worried about it, then I'm going to try to figure out a way to fix it. If I'm fixing it, that goes against the first step, you know. I admitted that I was powerless over food. I am clueless about this problem. I, I know a lot about other things. But as far as this problem, I am clueless about how to fix it. I've got to follow the steps and be in these rooms and talk to other people who love and care about me. Um, to recover and let God take care of the food and let God take care of the weight. And, um, you know, that's about all I have to say. Thank you. Now what? Oh, okay. Is there anybody that has a question? Thank you. I'm The sugar, the sugar for me, I, <clears throat> oh yeah, oh, repeat the question, okay, are there any foods that are still trigger foods for me, even now, even now the foods that I don't eat, and for me that's sugar. Um, I don't want to say that I'm allergic or anything like that, but there is something uh, addictive for me. There's an addictive nature about sugar in that if I eat it, I'm going to pay the price. I'm going to want more of it. I'm not saying I'm not, maybe not going to binge over it, but it's just not worth it. Having said that, I don't want to say that I've never had sugar. I mean, there have times, been times that I have had sugar. Um, I don't have anything like that in the house. And if it arrives on the workplace, I make a call like, I'll call somebody and say, a box of cheese candy just showed up and it's my commitment to not eat that. I have to put it out there. Um, you know, and there's been times that I've like picked a piece out, you know, and like have eaten something that I shouldn't have eaten out. Usually it's at work. I don't have anything like that in my house. Um, my daughter once said to me, Mom, I went to this kid's house and they had a cookie jar at their house. And it had a bunch of cookies in it. Do you think we could have something like that here? And I said, I don't think that would really work for me. And she said, why not? And I said, because I think I would eat all the cookies. And she said, no, you wouldn't, Mom. I would hide them. And I said, Kelly, better people than you have tried. I just, you know, I just stay out of slippery places. I just don't ever have that stuff in my house. 
Um, if she wants it, I'll take her out for it, and it'll be like a special treat. Why do kids need to eat that every night? I don't think they need it. I, I really don't. I mean, there's tons of stuff to eat. So I just don't have it in the house, and for the most part, I just don't eat it. And if I do make the mistake of eating it, I'm going to pay the price for it. Sought through prayer and meditation to prove, improve our conscious contact with God. How I work step 11 as we understood him. You know, all day long... I'm really in prayer and meditation. I'm, um, I have probably a 40-minute commute each way to work, and I turn the radio off and the cell phone off, and I just uh, pray, and I listen for direction. Um, I ride my bike a lot. I do my prayer and meditation there. <clears throat> Writing for me is a really good tool. A lot of things are revealed to me. Sometimes if I sit silent in a meeting, I believe that God has spoken to me through other people. I've, uh, I've had real epiphanies in this program, you know, things that have come to me when I just sit still and sit quiet and am willing to go through the pain and discomfort. Um, does that answer that? Yeah, it's not, not any ritual or anything. My food plan right now is three meals a day, and then I, if I'm hungry, that because sometimes, you know, my energy expenditure isn't the same every day, and you can eat one thing one day and you're going to be hungry, and some days you're not going to be hungry. Um, so I usually eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and uh, usually I've had dinner by now, and amazingly I'm not hungry, you know. Um, and usually I eat carbs, like, you know, like I'll have a piece of bread or a tortilla, like I haven't eliminated carbohydrates or anything, but um, I, I use everything real, like I don't use, um, I don't use NutraSweet or any of that fake stuff, or um, I just, you know, don't eat it if I'm, you know, if it needs sweet and low, or I don't, usually don't uh, drink uh, carbonated beverages or anything like that. Um, because I think even a lot of those things have been setups for me. Um, <clears throat> I try to exercise every day. I think the exercise for me, and I can't explain why this works, but I think it helps something in my brain. Um, to just not want to eat uh, as much, you know. It, it, it almost like stabilizes something. So I try to do some form of like walking or like today I swam, some days I go on a bike ride. You know, I've always belonged to a gym. Um, but, yeah, usually it's just three meals a day, and I, the only thing I really abstain from is something that really, like, actually looks like sugar, you know, like sweets and candy and cakes, and I don't need any of that stuff. This holiday worked out really well for me. Like every holiday, I usually gain two pounds. This holiday, I've lost a couple pounds. You know, I don't know why that is. Um, probably not as much stuff was around, and I didn't uh, cook myself. I did. I don't bake anything. I just. Uh, <clears throat> I didn't go to any work parties. 
um, the potlucks and all that, I just kind of stay away from them because if I'm there and I'm seeing that stuff, I'll just, <clears throat> I remember a couple years ago, you know, um, we went to a, a, a work party that was a Christmas party and it was just a dessert party. It's like, and, and at this dessert party, I'm thinking, I'm not going to do this next year. This is like torture. Why would I be here? And all the way up there, this is kind of funny, to show you the difference, I think I was born a compulsive overeater, by the way. You know, I really do. My daughter says to me, do you think they're going to have pumpkin pie at that? And I said, it's a dessert party. They're going to have pumpkin pie, right? It was the one thing they didn't have. Where to sing? They had every other dessert under the sun. No pumpkin pie. And I'm trying to interest her in all this other stuff. Do you know that she wouldn't eat any of that stuff? Because in her mind, she had that pumpkin pie. And it wasn't there. She wasn't going to eat it. Now, as a child... I would have eaten at that party. I would have eaten things I didn't even like. You know, just so interesting to watch children, you know, and there were other people's children at the party that, you know, couldn't even hear anything that was going on. They were just like little food machines. And that was me, you know. But this holiday was really easy for me. It was like the problem was kind of lifted for some reason. Some have been hard. Is that it? Okay. Thank you.